Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us for another mini-sode, a half-episode. We just recently watched, well, me and John, rather, we just watched the Paranormal Activity Next of Kin, which is the latest installment of the Paranormal Activity franchise, uh, which I believe, John, correct me if I'm wrong, is exclusive to Paramount Plus. Is not getting a theatrical release, is it? Uh, that is my understanding. Uh, so I guess this is like the modern direct-to-DVD type thing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that being said, did any point in this film, did you feel like maybe this was a budget title? No, actually, I would say, I mean, compared to previous paranormal activities, it actually looked really good. No, I don't think it was any more of a budget title than any of these movies are budget titles, right? They're all kind of all found footage films. Yeah, I do agree. But I feel like Ghost Dimension was supposed to wrap things up nicely for the franchise and that was going to be it. So I, part of my brain is telling me that maybe Paramount came around and was like, hey, you know what? We need some stuff for our new service. Mm-hmm. Here's a bundle of $20 bills or you know, however much they paid these guys to like go ahead and pump out another one so we can say, hey, exclusively to our streaming service during this uh, the, the battle for your eyeballs and subscription dollars of 2021. Agreed. It is interesting because they pick up this movie without talking about really any of the other movies. Um, But if you are a paranormal activity uh, aficionado, you know, at the end of Ghost Dimension, the guy won, the devil won. Demon is on Earth. So, but they don't really refer to that like at all in any way. Yeah, I think there is a slight connection that we can get to in a few minutes, but mostly you're right. This is an isolated standalone, really doesn't have anything to do with Katie um, or or the haunted family from the main series. So this one obviously came out just a few days ago. We're recording this the Saturday after its Friday release. Um, this one was directed by William Eubank, which you may be familiar with. Another one we did in our main podcast line, Underwater. It's the same guy that directed that one. This was written by Christopher Landon. He's been writing these since Paranormal Activity 2, so they did bring back the main writer to, to get this script going. Uh, he also did some things. He directed uh, Happy Death Day and wrote Happy Death Day to You and the 2020 film Freaky, um, which stars Vince Vaughn when they swap bodies uh, during the uh, murders. So he's he's got some stuff under his belt. Yeah. I've never seen Freaky, but I'm a fan of the Happy Death Day uh, universe. Um, in fact, I'm surprised we've never done it. I mean, the first one's way better than the second one, but even the second one holds up. And you can definitely tell that this guy wrote all of these paranormal activities and Happy Death Day because um, like, the humor is uh, very similar throughout. And this movie, one of my main, com- well, not main complaints, but one of my complaints about it is like the comic relief dude was like the best part, but also really just seemed out of place. Yes, I totally agree with everything you just said. Uh, in particular, I think one of their sound guys just keeps cracking all these jokes and, and saying this ridiculous stuff. And it's like, I don't really want this in my quote unquote found footage film, which this isn't really a found footage film anymore, at least not this entry. But yes, I agree with you. I think the humor is a little out of place. Well, as of uh, Saturday, this one is sitting at a 20% with the critics. Now, to be fair, that's only out of 30 reviews, which means 80% of the 30 uh, people that saw it did not like it, and 44% of the audience thought it was okay, and that's out of uh, under 50 reviews. So a little slow burn. I wonder uh, if people are actually tuning in or if this is getting people on board with Paramount Plus or not. I don't think Paranormal Activity has the kind of pull that Paramount Plus was hoping for. 
Uh, I mean, it certainly doesn't help that near the end, those movies were really bad. And like the last one came out six years ago or something like that. So it's been a long time. It ended on a real shitty film. Prior to this movie coming out, I don't remember there being like this huge demand like for horror fans being like, oh, you know what we need is more paranormal activity. Yeah. I think everyone was very content, right? Being like, uh, okay, I'm glad that, you know, it had its run. Let's just leave that aside. Yeah, I don't think the fans were clamoring. Or if they are, there's few and far between. Uh, There's way more franchises. I think Paramount could have pulled in to get people to tune in. But I guess on the the, uh, positive side of this, uh, it probably didn't cost much of anything to make these. These all have a pretty small budget when you think about it in terms of filmmaking. So one for Paramount's favor, I suppose. Yeah, I always wonder, like, I mean, you know, a company like Paramount, right, has to take the Friday the 13th franchise. We know it's all wrapped up in litigation. Like someone like Paramount could probably drop $20 million, just buy out both parties and make a Jason movie. And I bet that would get a ton of people signed up. Yeah, good point, man. There's I think there's more fervor to get a new one of those being that over a decade has passed since the remake and even longer since the original. I mean, the last entry of the Friday the 13th franchise in the main line franchise was Jason 10. If you want to count Freddy versus Jason, I suppose you can do that. But that's still going almost 20 years ago. Holy shit, we're getting old, Mark. I know, dude. <laughs> that was 20 years ago. <laughs> but yeah. I know. Uh, well, 2003, so maybe not quite 20 years, but it's damn close. Close enough. Well, with all that being said, John, this being a streaming one, you didn't have to put on pants to go see this one. Would you recommend our listeners go check this out on Paramount Plus. Yes. So if you already have Paramount Plus, for example, like me, you're a huge fan of Star Trek and you wanted that for all the Star Trek stuff on there, uh, throw it on. I mean, it's it's not like a bad movie. It's just, um, it's just man, boring for a lot of it. And also what, what makes, I think, a found footage movie good is like a sense of building tension. Uh, and this movie doesn't do a good job of that. <laughs> I guess I said yes, and here's why I'm telling you it's shitty. Uh, <laughs> but I'd say yes. I mean, I put it on, right? It was Friday night, made some popcorn and and watched it. And at the end, I was like, well, I'm glad that was free. But I didn't like, wasn't pissed that I watched it. So yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I would recommend it if you don't, haven't already subscribed. Uh, if you're already subscribed, rather, to the service, you might as well check it out. It's by no means the pinnacle of the series. Um, Number three for me is definite the high point of the paranormal. And then it's a pretty swift drop off with every entry afterwards. Um, So I would put this one probably under paranormal two, which I would put under paranormal one. So that's a weird way to tell you my ranking, right? So it's paranormal three, paranormal one, paranormal two, then probably this one. And then everything else I could give two shits about. (laughs) I think we probably have pretty similar rankings. I can never remember which one's which. The one that takes place in the 80 is is my favorite. Yeah. I think that's three. Correct. So it's like three, one, two, and then a blur. Good rank system there. <laughs> okay. So let's uh, just say at that point, you got two recommendations. If you don't want to be spoiled, here's the point where you want to cut off this mini-sode and go check it out for yourself. And then you can wrap back in and see our thoughts on the plots and scares and everything else. Um, but this is your warning. Spoilers are ahead. Okay, so like John said, this was really not something that's connected to the mainline universe, and we're introduced to a woman named 
Margot, I believe is her name. They, I, I couldn't, I had a real hard time keeping up with the names of these characters, which isn't a good sign <laughs> when there's only like five people and then a bunch of other like extras, right? Same. Uh, but Wikipedia says it's Margot. So, <laughs> okay. Keeping me honest. So Margot finds out that she has been abandoned by a woman at a hospital. And then after a 23andMe test comes in, she finds out she's related to an Amish woman out in some uh, rural community that lives alone. So, and they don't really do a good job of establishing what exactly Margot does or any of the people in here, but they're all part of some sort of documentary crew. Are they in college? I guess. We don't really learn anything about anybody in this film except for Margot. And the only thing that we learn about her is what's necessary to get her to this Amish community. But I guess piecing it together, they're very young, but they're not teenagers. So they must be like in YouTube college, like documentary type crew. Yeah. And so that brings up the first thing that's really different from the originals is this, the the film style of this is not found footage or it's not like old camera. Um, it's not even like a 30 or 40 frame per second type of uh, film that you would see on the news or something like that. This is more cinematic. This is 24 frames a second, which was kind of off-putting for a paranormal movie. What did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, they really barely paid homage to the found footage nature. Like, they would, you know, oh, someone's carrying a camera, but it was, I mean, it was shot effectively like a regular movie for 97% of it. They had, like, drone footage and slow motion, and, you know, it was cool, and, like, I understand why they did that, because I think found footage is past its heyday, but they also couldn't completely drop it because that is the like thing for paranormal activity. So they tried to kind of keep one foot in both worlds and it just uh, didn't work for me. Yeah, you're right. It's a weird uh, dance that they have to do with the viewer. Like you always have to kind of buy into this um, aspect that they are always going to be continuously filming every aspect of this plot even when it doesn't make sense that the characters would still be filming when their life is in peril. Um, and this is for every one of these movies, right? There's always a point where you're like, why didn't this guy just drop the camera and run for it? Well, then the audience wouldn't get to see what happens, right? So it's a, it's a weird place for you to be as a viewer. And she's like, dude, drop the camera, run through the snow. Don't stop tripping over trees and branches because you're looking through a camera lens or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird place for the viewer to be with that aspect. Now, I think in this movie, they kind of use these cameras for the, like a flashlight, I guess, because some of the cameras they're using is also their iPhones. So you'll get, you'll get like a, an FOV, a first person view of someone filming and then the guy behind her will show that, oh, she's actually holding her iPhone as they're walking around. And you're like, okay, I got to remember that. (laughs) It's a multi-use tool. It's not just a camera. Yeah. Or they'll try to use like night vision. That was a big thing, like in one of the scenes. Um, Believe it or not, despite as much as I hate the dude, Paranormal Activity 1 did it the best because I could totally believe that Mika the moron would continue to film through all this. Like it totally made sense for that character and then each one kind of makes it makes less and less sense until we get here but they tried so you know points for creativity and honestly they just sort of forgot about it as i was watching the movie um once i got over like oh this isn't going to be amateur footage this is like supposedly semi-professional footage yeah so the whole main driving point of this documentary is to what exactly just to 
meet this Amish community that she was abandoned from, or excuse me, not abandoned from, but uh, shunned from. Yeah, very confusing because Margot, as it turns out, uh, kind of has two motives, right? She has the first motive, which is what she tells the Amish people, which is, oh, yeah, I just want to, you know, get to know where my parent, my mom came from and like explore your universe and, and, you know, what it means to be Amish. But also sort of she wants to find out what's the story with her mom. And she hides that from the Amish community because I think they like she knows they wouldn't let her explore so then she becomes like after the first night just a real rude house guest (laughs) uh and starts like breaking in the shit and like opening up things that doesn't belong to her um which to me made her very unlikable but um all right who left the cap off the milk in the fridge Margot? what are you doing you're a guest here in this house (laughs) yeah i know like so, so for me like if if the main points here is to meet this family that you could have been a part of and B, find out who your mother is and what her life was like, I am completely beside myself and befuddled by some of the risks that they take halfway through this film. Like it, the, the, the line of logic there just doesn't quite make sense. And what I'm particularly referring to as as you grow to learn things about this Amish community, things are a little off. They start wandering into the woods at night and at night I'm saying like 2 a.m. or they have a church that's way out in the woods that they won't let them take a look inside of. And when they ultimately break into this church after being told, please don't enter our, our house of worship, again, bad house guest, it reveals that there's this giant cavernous cave mm-hmm. that drops down about 100 feet or so that they actually have to use a crank and a harness to drop people into. And immediately, Margo's like, strap me in, I'm going in. And it's like, what are you doing, you freaking idiot? <laughs> I had such a problem with this point. Yeah. These people aren't even home. They went to town to go sell butter, whatever the hell they do. <laughs> and um, they're just going to go down in this cave. They have no idea what's in there. And if they get caught, the stakes are so freaking high that it doesn't meet up with their uh, line of business that they're there for. One million percent. Also, they have no idea how old that harness is, how old, like, is this still in use? She's just like, throw this on. I've got no, I'm not like a, I I don't go splunking. They never establish that part of her character. But she's like, I I can figure this harness out and just lower me down and let's hope for the best. Uh, I mean, even outside of a horror movie, that's just like poor safety etiquette. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> this whole movie would have been, I would have given it two thumbs up, 10 out of 10, if as uh, Chris was cranking her down and just broke and she fell to her death the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that would have been so good. And then like, yeah, but think about it. If they did that, like now she's dead. The Amish are showing up. They found out that they've revealed their secret. And then the rest of the movie is just the camera guys trying to escape this crazy uh, Amish village or something you know that could have been a nice twist to it yeah or like the amish come back and they're like y'all are the bad guys why did you lower your friend down here we haven't used this in 20 years what the (laughs) hell are you doing that's where we keep our cave bears what are you doing (laughs) it's our animal pit we told you not to go in there because it's a safety hazard (laughs) yeah we did this for your protection just ridiculous so uh that was that was a big point that i had an issue with but again like the the thought process that Margo comes to, it's just a, a, a snap reaction to lower me in with this harness into the cave. 
is her adoptive life so fucking bad that she's that driven to find out if her mother is somehow being kept in that cavern? I guess. But also, if you think that's happening, go to the authorities. What, what, are, what is she going to accomplish? if it, Let's say she got down there and her mom was there chained to like a wall. What was she going to do? Yeah, she doesn't have the keys for these locks and ironclad chains. You're right. Like she just look at her and be like, okay, I'll be back. They've got all the footage. They could literally just go to the cops with the footage and like, look at this. There's a giant cave in here. <laughs> like this is suspect. And I think my mom's down there. You're right. That would have been better. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely one of the flaws of this movie is million percent horror logic because she's super like unrealistically brave until she's not. And like in an earlier, before they even find the cave, she they're like, oh, yeah, your mom's room is still here. It's in the attic. And, you know, we just use it as storage. Uh, nothing exciting there. And so she hears some shuffling in the attic. Literally could be anything, right? She's at a house. It's not her house. She doesn't know. So it could be people putting shit in the attic. Could be mice. Could be anything. She's like, it's probably my mom walking around. I'm going to need a break in there. <laughs> All because some weird four-year-old said, your mother's still here. Like, dude, you believe what little four-year-olds tell you? They make up shit all the time. They have invisible friends. And you just, right. that's my proof. Like, so bonkers. So she breaks into the attic. Then she just starts opening doors, opening containers, like investigating, which like in hindsight, because we know this is a movie and we know obviously she's going to be right. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, it totally makes sense. But like knowing what the characters know at that moment, she's just like ransacking this room. Yeah. And I was like, I just, I was not a fan of it. Uh, I mean, it did lead to like a suspenseful scene because obviously someone who actually owns the house is like, what the fuck's going on in my attic? And walks up in there to see what's going on and just like hide under the bed. That brings me to a question though. Like, what do you think of this movie's tension and scares? Like, I don't think I was very tense or scared at any point comparing it to the best film in the franchise number three there was a ton of good scares and suspense yeah uh zero at no point did i feel like this character was actually in any danger uh, until the very end right and like the last 30 minutes the movie like picks up speed and suddenly becomes very very good but before then like to go back to the attic scene she hides under the bed and then we get the like so she's under the bed we see her it's like night vision and a person lays in the bed effectually like effectively right and the mattress creeps down so she sticks the camera out to see who's on the bed and surprise nobody's on the bed and instead of her in like reacting in a reasonable way she's just like oh whew, all clear and she crawls out of the bed <laughs> and doesn't think twice about how weird what just happened to her was and it's like, all right, well, if the character doesn't give a shit, why am I supposed to care? Yeah. And this is a problem that the paranormal movies have in general over several of these. At the time of this recording, uh, we're going to be doing the um, ghost dimension in our worst in show coming up soon. But there's a scene there where, you know, again, everything's being recorded. This little girl puts her hand against a mirror and leaves an imprint. And then the, the mirror shatters and nobody says a word about it again. Never brought up mm -hmm. and like, it's like, dude, this is clear signs of danger for these characters and you're going to just ignore them all. And this is exactly what happens here. 
they go downstairs and she talks to her camera crew and they're just like, oh, you're acting silly. You know, we got to go through this song and dance of nobody believing their own eyes of the footage that's being shown to them. And be like, look, dude, don't you see the bed is now, uh, you know, it's there's a shape laying in this empty mattress. Isn't that creepy? And they're like, ah, whatever. Yeah. And this movie does the worst screenwriting thing ever. They write themselves in the corner that they can't get out of, so they just fade to black. Because uh, to end this attic scene, I keep going on because I think it is such a good summation of everything wrong with this film. She gets locked in the attic because the person who came to investigate locked the door when they left. So she opens a window. It's like a third story window. She's like, well, this will be fun. And then it fades to black, comes in the next day, and she's back with her crew. It's like you couldn't figure out how to get her out of that window. So you just hoped we didn't ask about how she crawled down. You're absolutely right. We needed to see that. Yeah. Like it's because it's just so unfeasible that she was able to successfully do this. Um, So they should have showed something. But nope. They were just like, uh, shit, we're trapped here. Fade. I think the only feasible uh, fade to black and then fade in would be her with a broken leg getting put into an ambulance. Be like, why'd you fall down off the roof? <laughs> yeah, like ridiculous. Um, also, like, how did she close the window behind her? Then we'll never find that piece of information out. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, John, ultimately, it doesn't matter. True. Because she's actually been lured back here by the Amish family. And as the story progresses... You know, our characters find out the battery of the van doesn't work anymore. So they got to go to town and they uh, hitch a ride with a postman. And he's like, oh, you're staying over at the Bellar family farm. I don't know exactly the last name, but it's something like that. Um, And he's like, yeah, we're staying with the Amish folks. And he's like, oh, they ain't Amish. I've been delivering the mail here for 40 years. All the rest of the farms are Amish, but they ain't Amish. And you're like, oh, no, what are they, Satanists or something? Yeah, come to find out that this was all a ruse to get Margot back here because she's needed for some particular uh, ritual or ceremony. So ultimately, the window doesn't matter. And that door that she got into had a padlock on it for the whole movie. But when she got up to and go investigate the noises, voila, it's unlocked. And that's what got her into that trouble to begin with. Yeah. I think one of the things the movie does do well, though, is it's setting an atmosphere. A lot of those shots in the dark with the really saturated red lamps and stuff, like I thought a lot of that looked good. A lot of the snow winter effects were really well done. The house itself, I would hope that the Amish do a little better upkeep because the house looked like it was molding in areas, (laughs) but it's a really effective setting. You know what I mean? Like I thought all of that was pretty well done. Yeah, honestly, this movie is shot beautifully. Like the cinematography really, I mean, to your point, Mark, is really well done, um, which that helps a lot. It's just, you know, the plot was not great. Uh, So Mario gets captured and they're running like a, a spell on her. No, what's it called? I can't think of the word. Like an incantation or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, some some Satanist thing. And her friend Chris comes and rescues her. But were they the bad guys? Because if. They kept talking about the lady who's doing the spells, like the salt, the salt. So I couldn't tell if they were trying to keep Toby from waking up or using her to wake Toby up. Well, it's interesting you call him Toby. Um, So that's kind of the thing I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is how this might indirectly connect to the other movies. This demon that they uh, uh, have painted all over their dark church that has the cavernous pit in it, the demon's name is Asmodeus. So I think the whole point of this Amish community is to rather than bring Asmodeus or the demon into the world, they're trying to keep it trapped. So I actually don't think they're Satanists. I think they're trying to do 
some good work that unfortunately is going to cost Margot's life in this this ritual to keep him at bay. And that's ultimately what we see is like the the dad of the the Amish family has a shotgun. He's trying to keep the cameraman away, and that uh, ends poorly for him. As there's Chris, who's uh, the main cameraman, and Dale's the sound guy. Yeah, so Chris, he's trying to get into the cave to save Margot. Um, again, were they girlfriend and boyfriend? That was really not established. Uh, I thought he cared a little too much for a paying gig, or you know, if he's not in some sort of relationship. Yeah, they had to have been friends from like the beginning or from the beginning, from the beginning of the movie, they had to be friends like more than just a paying like relationship because he's like, Oh, should I tell him about how much time you spend in this Denny's eggs over my hammy or whatever? When they first meet uh, her relative product placement. Thank you. Denny's for the cash. Right. But yeah, I, I couldn't tell if they were in a relationship. They were just friends. Um, movie didn't bother to, yeah, explain that at all. Yeah, because if I got hired onto a crew to do some filming, I would have been out of there lickety split a long time ago. But this guy's taking risks. Yeah. In the in the kerfuffle, the father of the Amish family gets knocked into the pit and is dead. And, and Chris is lowering himself in with the winch um, and finds his dead body split in half. And you're right, John, there's a woman down there doing some ritual and she's really concerned about the salt. But again, I think this is all to keep... Asmodeus or whatever demon name they're they're referring to this character as to transfer it from Sarah, her mother, into the daughter. Mm. Maybe because Sarah's just aging too much and they need a new vessel to keep him trapped. So I think that's the ultimate goal of this this family. Yeah, I think that uh, that makes sense to me too. Which always goes back to my number one tip, my number one exorcism tip after having watched a gazillion of these movies multiple lines of defense don't just put one thin little fucking line of salt right you put one line of salt and then maybe a few feet later you put a second line of salt (laughs) uh they never they never think of two my god john you are just blowing this out of the water you you're crazy my man i don't know if two lines is gonna work you're very inventive though i'll give you that (laughs) thank you i assume they made these uh instructions when salt was very expensive in the past uh, turns out now salt super cheap. Like you could buy a lot of salt for a very little bit of money. Uh, so you don't need to be stingy with the salt. To think we could have been resolved with just another line of uh, Morton's. That's it. But instead, much like the very last uh, Ghost Dimension, like mainline Paranormal Activity movie, uh, the demon comes back in this movie too. And so he comes back, kills everybody uh, as a demon does. The cops show up and they're like, hey, what's up, buddy? And then he makes them the sheriff officer, the deputy shoot himself. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, I mean, sad, but cool. Uh, And so the movie must have thought the same thing because it does the exact same kill. Ten seconds later, a second cop comes and oh, the demon makes him kill himself, too. And I was like, all right, it was cool the first time. Now it's just derivative. And then Asmodeus uh, gets in a cop car and drives away. The end. As the credits roll, too. We get to watch him drive for a little bit and listen to the radio. So the demon likes oldies. Yeah, I thought there'd (laughs) be like an after credit scene or something because of that. But nope, it's just a way to... They just filmed him driving and are like... We're, make, we're getting our money's worth. Yeah. Uh, we danced past it a little bit, uh, but the scenes leading into the demon. Um, so as they're coming out of the cave, Sarah 
uh, her biological mother, Margot's biological mother. She's a withered, decrepit beast. Uh, she's very effective, though. I'll, I'll give her that. The, the, the design of her is very off-putting, and she's more animalistic and demonic than human at this point. And they chase our characters through the snow. Some really good shots of POV running around. Unfortunately, Dale gets killed as he's left behind, and they end up in this barn where ultimately they uh, do the whole... And this was really whiffs of like Jason uh, Friday the 13th too. You remember when the character pretends to be the mother Mm -hmm. of Jason Voorhees to get our killer to stop momentarily to get the upper hand. It's the same here. Margo goes, Sarah, it's me, your daughter. And the monster goes, what? And then they get the better hand and hit her in the head and she falls into a thresher and is killed, which ultimately releases the demon and it goes and finds another host and it gets into the guy that lured them to the farm in the first place. And this uh, uh, is ultimately the guy who kills the cops and has the as the movie ends. Um, all of that stuff was great. Best part. The last 30 minutes of the film is worth watching this movie for. So I would definitely recommend it for that alone. I kept hoping when Sarah was like, oh, it's or sorry. Uh, Margo's like, it's me, your daughter, that Sarah was just going to like stab her in the head. Yeah. Like uh, like a real bright burn situation. But no, it does get through to her. Just like you said, just long enough to uh, lead to her demise. Which I got to be honest, man, if she's been down in that cave for 30 years or so, there's no Sarah left. It's all Asmodeus. Yeah. Like, I don't think Asmodeus is going to tap into her memories and be like, oh, I'm interested. Say more. Like, no, he's just going to murder her and and go about his business. It just doesn't quite work. Yeah. Now, here's a, a question for you. Does the host that Asmodeus is in give uh, the demons unique powers, right? Because when he moved into the other guy, suddenly he had the power of mind control. Oh. But it didn't seem like Sarah had that power, so I wonder what Sarah's special power was, uh, because it was ineffectual, whatever it was. Perhaps she was too withered. Oh. And her body was not as useful to the demon. I think there was like some really thin dialogue. Remember when they, they found the two headed goat that was born and they're like, this shit is getting out of hand. That's right. I think we need to do this sooner rather than later. I think this was like them teasing, like we got to get the demon in a new vessel because Sarah's too weak to contain him anymore. Okay. I buy that. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I did, I forgot about the two headed when they broke into the church for the first, the second or time. These people are just trespassers. <laughs> desecrating churches man they're in trouble with jesus yeah but i think ultimately that this leaves them in an interesting position right if we think that maybe toby is another demon and now we have asmodeus and i can't recall which film it was if it was this one or ghost dimensions someone read a passage somewhere that said the nine princes of hell are trying to enter into our realm i think that leaves them open for seven more possible entities to come back in. Now, whether or not Paramount wants to take the plunge on another 32 paranormal movies, <laughs> that's up to them. But I think that's kind of what we're looking at here is maybe if this does well enough, they're going to start doing all these other demon spinoffs that are uh, loosely connected that way. So we don't have to keep going back to the Katie well and movie one through five. I can appreciate moving the movie forward or the movie universe forward. Nine seems like a lot of princes of hell. They had the four horsemen right there, right? Oh, yeah. So close. No, they had to go make their own shit. Um, 
I just don't, man, that's a lot of uh, juice to squeeze from the Paranormal Activity franchise. Well, maybe we can count old Demon from Hereditary as, as one of them, and that'll be one less movie. I forget his name. Payman. Maybe we can just say Payman's one of the nine, and that'll that'll tie those together. Love it. Well, anyway, that's our uh, our quick thoughts on the movie. Again, sounds like two recommendations, but a warning. Hey, it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, listeners, have you seen this movie yet? Why don't you tell us what you think about it on our Instagram, our Facebook, or Twitter? If you've got any ideas for movies or cold opens or anything you'd like us to talk about, please hit us up and let us know. We're always happy to hear from you guys. Until next time, I think we're going to be kicking off our month-long deluge of bad movies and our best i'm sorry not best of show worst of show uh the worst movies as dictated by rotten tomatoes in uh franchises that have five plus movies uh we're gonna be hitting you back with saw seven slash 3d slash the final saw (laughs) i don't know how many names it's got it's got far too many but that'll be here next week so until then get saw 3d watched and we'll talk to you then thanks for tuning in